so beautiful. Good morning. Today, uh, we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and uh, the final week of his earthly life and ministry. For on Friday, Jesus was put to death, crucified. On the first day of the week, our Sunday, women went to the tomb to anoint, and they found the tomb empty. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus conquered death, the crowning event of earthly life. Let me say that again. Jesus conquered death, and death is the crowning event of earthly life. In the resurrection, Jesus dethroned death, offering us a crown of a different kind. Not death, but life. Life over death. Life that conquers death. So, it's that crown of life, the life, the resurrection life that conquers death, that James speaks of in verse 12 of the opening chapter when he speaks of the crown of life. Let me read it to us. James chapter 1. Verse 12 through 18. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. My beloved brothers, every good, every good gift and every perfect gift or every good giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth he gave birth to us by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The crown that he speaks of is the Stephanos. The Stephanos, if that sounds familiar, if you know a Stephen or a Stephen or a Steve, they are all named, uh, at least uh, originally, 
the, the name Stephen goes back to the Stephanos, the laurel wreath of victory, that crown. When we, uh, well, when I think of the laurel wreath, what comes to mind, um, the imagery, the pageantry of the laurel crown, and laurel means any kind of vegetation, so if you've seen a wreathed victor, whatever the kind of vegetation, it's that pageantry of the victor that I think of when I think of the Olympic victor on the pedestal with the gold medal being crowned. Surely you've uh, pursued a crown in your life. Can you think of a, a pursuit? You might not have thought of it as a crown. You might have thought of it as a goal. I'm going to give myself to that. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to endure. And you keep after it until you win the crown. I mean this, sometime I'd love to hear that story. I'd like to hear you tell the story of how you sought a goal, how you pursued a crown. It may not have been Olympic. It might have been something in school. But you ran that race, and it was uh, filled with parts of agony before it broke forth in exhilaration. And that's really a taste of what James is alluding to when he talks about the crown of life, enduring, pursuing. Claim the crown. That's what James is calling us to. Claim the crown. Faith works. Maybe we can bring that up for me. Faith works. There we go. What I mean by claim the crown, crowning moments don't begin on a pedestal. They begin with endeavor. It's not the end that is the beginning. I've ascended, uh, I've summited a number of mountains, but I never began at the top. I always began at the bottom. And I got to tell you, sometimes <laughs> it makes me laugh because uh, there were times where I would talk to myself and think, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, why are you doing this? But, you know, the more you do it, you have these wonderful experiences of summiting. And it's that which carries you through the difficult times because you know that there is going to be that, that summit. There is going to be that crowning moment in which you will stand at the top and survey the world from the pedestal of what you've achieved. James says, make this your goal. Pursue the crown of life. 
claim that crown. But as I said, all goals, all summits, all peaks, they don't begin with a crowning moment. They begin with endeavor. Endeavor. If you look up the word endeavor, it's defined as the attempt to achieve a goal. And I, I, I guess I'm not even comfortable with that because the word attempt suggests that we're going to quit. But when you really set your mind on an objective, a goal, you pursue it to the end. And that's what James has in view. In fact, uh, this goal, I believe, is none other than Jesus himself. Because as James will say in the very beginning of chapter 2, he calls Jesus the Lord of glory. You know, all the glory, all the riches Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, 3, Jesus who, in whom we have every spiritual blessing. Uh, Paul talks about Jesus as the goal. And we talk about living a Christ-like life because Jesus is the pervasive focus and pursuit of our lives. And that is God's pursuit and goal for us, is to become more like Jesus, to become Christ-like. All the things that Jesus taught, all the things that the apostles write about that make up our New Testament, they're overwhelmingly focused on shaping us, calling us to the things that will make us like Christ. I really can't think of a, a goal until I came to Christ. Um, I was 19, and my life was just, you know, mom and dad's goals. They had goals for me, and it was trying to live up to them. But when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that was really the first goal of my life. That became the focus and, and the pursuit. And you've probably heard me talk about uh, how I was on a canal bank, and it was uh, fairly uh, late at night. I'd been walking and walking, I was uh, in my first year of college. I was in a psych class. We were learning about the functions of the brain as uh, preliminary to understanding the nature of psychology and behavior. And they talked about the synapse in that uh, uh, synapses, uh, the way the brain fires and information travels. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, you can't even see that. How is it that? You know, we as human beings know such things. These microscopic truths that you cannot see with the human eye. What achievements! And then as I gazed into the stars, we had sent a, a spacecraft and landed on the moon and returned safely to Earth, and I was looking at the stars and the heavens and thinking, look at what we've achieved, what we know about the heavens, what science is opening up to us. 
but I thought about my own life. I thought about the lives of the scientists that tell us these things, that research them. They suffer all kinds of personal defeats and failings. They can't conquer themselves, even if they can conquer the heavens or the minutiae the microscopic things we can't see with the human eye. They can conquer those things, but they can't conquer themselves. And that really was a defining moment for me because I needed someone who could help me conquer me. And I gave my life to Christ to live for him, to put him first. to ask myself going forward, how can I do this by faith in Jesus? How can I do this trusting him instead of my uh, experience and my learning? One of the first things that the next goal, I mean, I never achieved that goal. I'm still pursuing that goal. I'm still running after Jesus. Sometimes I'm turning back to Jesus Sometimes I'm making him the central focus because he's moved to the periphery. But that's still my goal. After all these years. But the next goal was in that same year was to learn the Greek language because I didn't trust uh, the translations of the New Testament and the pastors were speaking. And I thought, I wonder if they're really telling it like it is, you know. And I'm still pursuing that goal. But each of these goals has opened all kinds of things. You know, when, when I put Jesus first, then I became a better son to my parents. I became a better uh, student. I started to apply myself to my, to my studies, even some of the goals that my parents had for me. I became a better friend. I became a better employee. I became a better intern. I became a better teacher, professor. I became a better mentor as time went on. I became a better pastor. I became a better husband when I got married. And when I studied Greek, I became a better student and I learned self-discipline and the use of time and priorities in my life. And then of course I met Shelley and uh, she became my goal. And when we got married, my goodness, it wasn't an easy mountain to climb. And I'm still pursuing the summit there, although I can see it. You know, some goals in life are so valid, so valuable, so valorous, so virtuous. You never stop pursuing. You keep after them. And all of these amazing and beautiful things are developed in your life because you pursue Jesus. And then maybe you pursue something else that's open to you because you pursue Jesus. And then you per pursue that, that person that God puts in your life. My life's goal has been to make our marriage. I mean this. Um, I got married at 20. 
and I developed a philosophy of marriage. <laughs> but one, the goal was that I was going to devote my life to making our marriage um, something beautiful that would be the greatest achievement of my life. I thought, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing greater that I can do in life than to love this woman as perfectly as I can. And uh, I know I haven't made it easy for her, and she hasn't always made it easy for me. There have been lots of tests. And when you endure, when you endeavor, you must endure. And sometimes the, de the, the tests dispirit you and discourage you. And those tests sometimes create temptations. Sometimes the grass looks greener on the... I know everyone here is probably not married, but if you'll allow me to use this as an example of what I think James is talking about, to talk about what the Christian life is like, because I think it make, brings it closer to home. We can all think and understand a little bit better what I'm talking about. You could think of a friendship. You could think of a relationship at work. Any of these things that are valuable and important that demand things of you, they, be, they involve tests, if you will. To endeavor, you must endure, and to endure, to withstand the test, to, to overcome and to triumph in the test. You can't quit. You can't run away. There's only one path to success, and that's through the test to get beyond it without giving up. But yeah, there have been temptations. Sometimes the grass does look greener on the other side. You compare yourself with others, and you think, they seem to have it so good. Maybe if I, maybe if I made their goal my goal, maybe if I went their way instead of the way that's set before me, which is really a way of defeat and surrender and giving up. Back in January, um, I got an email. It was the end of January, the last day of January, in fact. I knew I was going to be speaking on James. I was starting to do some preparation already, but we hadn't come to that point. But the email, in, interestingly enough, the, the person said, um, what's this mean, James 1.12? The verse we're looking at in particular and the passage and context of it. What's this mean? And then the person uh, proceeded to answer some of their own questions. Is it eternal life? That can't be right, they wrote. Eternal life is not based on works. It's based on my faith. It's unconditional. Is it a reward? They asked. I have salvation. I have eternal life through my faith in Christ. That can't be right. 
Is it something extra, like the extra-colored cords draped around the graduate's neck to signify the distinguished, excellent achievements? Well, it's eternal life. But where is eternal life? Is eternal life a diploma that you get? Eternal life is Jesus Christ. It's not a diploma. It's not some kind of a certificate or policy. It is Jesus himself. He, listen, Jesus is the resurrection life. There's no resurrection. There's no eternal life without Jesus. He is the prototype. That's why he's contrasted with the first Adam and called the last Adam. He is the life. Who is it that pours out on us, on believers, who institutes the church with his Holy Spirit? His life. The guarantee of what? Our life. The crown of life. The life that we know because of Jesus that conquers death. That's why in James 2 1, chapter 2, verse 1, he calls him the Lord of glory. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says he is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In 1 John 5, 11 through 13, let's just take a moment and look at that. Writers sometimes use little, dif little different words and language, but look at the way first the John in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13 talks about it. In verse 11, he says, this, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, everything we are and are to become is in Jesus Christ. That's why we do talk about a relationship with him. All those answers are ours in Jesus on March 29, 1974, I pledged my love to Shelley. I can visualize it. I was very serious. I mean, this was the biggest thing in my life. But all those people standing there, over a thousand people. I think it was because we had a double wedding, which is kind of unusual, two sisters and uh, two brother-in-laws-to-be, both uh, going into ministry. And when he walked me through the vows, I said, I do 
And I meant it with all my heart. And you know, after that, we, uh, we signed an official license of marriage, which uh, it did just this last week at the DMV, I had to present an official photocopy of to uh, establish that I am, in fact, married. I could produce that for you now. But what if, after I received, we received that official document and uh, the ceremony was over and passed the honeymoon, what if, um, even though now 45 years later I claim to be married, but after that ceremony, I kept my residence. Um, I, I had two households and I would spend one day a week uh, often Sundays with Shelley, but uh, the rest of the time, um, I had another residence. And sometimes, at that other residence, I would entertain other women. And what if when I spent time with Shelley, um, I, you know, I enjoyed it if she was humorous and entertaining, if she told me things that were flattering, but when she spoke hard things to me, I just stormed out in anger. I wouldn't hear it. And what if all after 45 years we kept up appearances of being married so I could produce for you the license and I could claim that I'm married, but wouldn't you have a few doubts about my claim to marriage? Wouldn't you say that's not much of a marriage? Would you say I've endured the tests of marriage to make it a real marriage? Would you say I loved Shelley? I don't think so. I think you'd think it's a sham, a pretense. Notice in verse 12, James says, the promise is to those who love him to those who love God. The endeavor and the endurance, that's all dependent on our relationship with God. And it's built on love for him. Love for him. And so, I want to encourage us very quickly and look at some incentives right here in this passage to endure to claim that crown, but never give it up, never take your eyes off of it, to pursue it with your whole life, to give yourself to it, because James says you are blessed and you will know blessing. I want us to look, and this is why we claim the crown. We claim the crown and run with endurance, and we run with confidence. There we go. And we run with assurance. We run with a, a endurance uh, because it's, it's not just one test. Uh, to claim the crown is, I wish it were just, you know, one test, but it's, it's not just one, it's many tests, many tests, because life 
uh, is the length of the race. Does James imagine running here? Well, I'm using running. Paul talks about running the race. Uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about running the race. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26, Galatians 2, 2, Philippians 2, 16, all likens our Christian life as a race. He says, run to win, not in vain. Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1 says, let us run with endurance the race. So it wouldn't be odd if James talks to us about finishing strong and uh, enduring for the crown. Whether he's talking about running or not, I'm not sure, but I think it's a fitting metaphor. You could put some other athletic endeavor, climbing the mountain if you want, but we run to finish. Um, I've dropped off a little bit in watching Survivor, but uh, you know the, the slogan, outwit, outplay, outlast. You have to outlast everyone else to win. Well, of course, we run together, and we help each other in the race, this race of faith, this race for the crown of life, if you will. But I think it's very, very important for us to appreciate the fact that we endeavor and endure, and there are many tests because the length of the race is the race of our life. It is Jesus that we pursue. Um, I was at a car wash, and uh, as I was going to the cashier, they had a, a, a I guess you, you know, you could call it a retail tree by the cashier, and there were hats, like ball caps, and they all had slogans, and this slogan caught my eye. It said, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Well, you see, the humor of that uh, conceals an actual problem. Uh, life is a long haul. And how we prepare wisely today for tomorrow in a society that lives mostly for today and where now is better than then here is better than there, you're going to find people don't set goals, don't endeavor, and don't endure. They don't pursue. In fact, if you know anything about, I mean, get online and, and Google leadership. It's so much is about having goals in life. Without a goal, you'll never hit the target. When I used to play golf, They'd say, 99% of your putts you will not make if you leave them short. I just want to encourage you to get your eyes on Jesus. There is really no other goal. No one else will inspire you. No one else will make your heart flutter. No one else, as we sang in several of these songs here, will give you that whole sense of acceptance, forgiveness, mercy, grace, love. 
That's what we always find in Jesus. No matter what's going on in our lives, boy, we can endure any test with love like that. That's why we run not only with endurance, but run with confidence. In, we were in John chapter 6 not too long ago, and in verses uh, 66 through 69, some of the disciples, uh, it says, left, turned away. And Jesus then turned to his, uh, the 12, and he asked them a question. He said, uh, will you go away too? And Peter spoke up for the rest, and he says, uh, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You see, life is not just something that kicks in at the end uh, of this life. The, the Spirit in us gives us a foretaste of the life to come, the reality of resurrection life. Paul talked about this in Philippians. He talks about it when he talks about living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just, you know, in, in, in other writers of the New Testament, it's, it's set in language that talks about putting your faith in God and allowing him to work through you. His power to be your power. His heart, your heart. His precious Virtues and values be your precious virtues and values. Loving the unlovable. Forgiving. Showing mercy. These are powerful truths. Where are you going to find them? Except in pitiful love songs and bad poetry. Everyone's trying already to do it on their own. We have this life now in Christ. We experience it when we operate in faith. That's our confidence. Because here we can see in verses 13 through 15, God is for us and never against us. He says, he says, don't think that God is tempting you. See? And we do, don't we? When things, when circumstances go wrong, we think, why are you against me, God? Or at least sometimes we do. We feel like God is trying to trip us up. James says, never, never, never. He doesn't, he doesn't operate that way. He's never tempted by evil, and he's not going to use evil to tempt you. And then he goes on to talk about his goodness. Sin, he says, is just putting your faith in yourself, your own desires, your own wants, not surrendering to his will for you. So we have expectations. Sometimes we expect God to kind of be our pimp, you know? I'm sorry, that, but you know, that's, 
come on, God, I need you to get this for me. I want you to provide this for me. I want you to fulfill my desires. Isn't that what you're around for? Aren't you my, you know? God doesn't fulfill our wants, which is our will. He fulfills our needs. And often our wants are not focused on the things of Jesus Christ and what God wants to develop in us. I know, I know, sin is fun and the whole world, and, but you know, the most beautiful qualities of who you will become is what God wants to bring about in your life. And these are the beautiful things that make you triumph in life where others continually fail. It's the, all of the things that you found in God, in Christ, in the first place. Acceptance, mercy, forgiveness, love, a new start, a second chance, a do-over. I'm putting it real plainly, but that's, that's what they're talking about constantly. That's how we get refreshed and we begin again. And we're energized to be all of that to others in the name of Christ. That's why we run with endurance, run with confidence, and run with assurance, because God is good and his goal for us is good. Don't be duped, he says in verse 16, and he says, don't be juked, don't be punked, don't be tricked. He calls us, James says, my beloved, you who are loved, don't be suckered. And in a sense, he's looking back to the temptation that God's not behind and looking ahead now with that in our rearview mirror to the goodness of God that he talks about. He says, God is, he says, have you ever known good giving and good gifts, perfect gifts? He says, every good giving and perfect gift comes from God and there is no no darkness no hint of any cunning or evil in in him nothing but light so he doesn't lure he doesn't tempt he gives he who is unchanging and then in verse 18 he talks about the will of God as contrasted with our wants. God, we want you to, you know, fulfill our wants. That's when tests become temptations and we don't trust him who is our father, called our father here. And the word, he says, when, when desires conceive and bring forth sin, that's a word that's only used twice. And both times they're used right here. Once it's used of, of a, like a woman who gives birth to a child, but the birth is sin. And then he uses it here in verse 18 of God giving birth to us by the word of truth. Welcome, the implanted message 
within you, he says in verse 21, which is able to save your souls, a reference to the gospel, the good truth of God, the expression of his will. Richard Halverson, the former U.S. Senate chaplain, used to challenge people with the following image. You're going to meet an old man or woman someday down the road, 10, 30, 50 years from now, waiting there for you. You'll be catching up with him or her, as the case may be. What kind of old man or old woman are you going to meet? He may be a seasoned, soft, gracious fellow, a gentleman who has grown old gracefully, surrounded by hosts and friends, friends who call him blessed because of what his his life has meant to them. Or he may be a bitter, disillusioned, dried-up old buzzard without a good word for anyone, soured, friendless, and alone. He goes on, but it's good to think of where you're going to be in a year, in five years, because... They tick off so quickly, and then the next thing you know, you're celebrating your 45th anniversary or a birthday that you never thought you'd live to see. But then you begin to just praise the Lord because of what he's done in your life, because you just, it's as simple as that. You keep your eyes on him. Will you stand with me? Uh, Let me close in prayer for us. I want to remind you, if you'd like to pray with us, if God's spoken to your heart, we're going to be down here in front. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the object of our life to be like Christ, a life that is eternal. The crown of this life is death, but we have the crown of life in him, eternal life, life with you, a life that begins now. We praise you. May this enthrall us as we endeavor in fresh ways to trust you, put our faith in you, and live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, God bless you.